0: Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 19, The Road Through Hell Leads North. I'm Scatty, we have with us Brooke and Matt as always. Good evening. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Matt from New Zealand, I think. So uh, uh, That's Portuguese actually, that's, that's Brazilian, a, uh, Brazil uh, for hi. Uh, oh. Alright. Brazil.
1: Brazilian Portuguese for hi is oi, that's amazing.
2: Oi. More formal is hola. But uh, Oi is kind of just there hey.
0: All right. There you go. Well, we've educated everyone, so we'll just close the shop down and quit the, this episode today. Uh, good night. Good night, good job, everyone. Uh, okay, so <laughs> we'll be covering today, this is our second uh, Clash of Kings episode. We'll be covering Arya 2, John 1, Catlin 1, Tyrion 2, and Arya 3. That's chapters 5 through 9, according to Wiki of Ice and Fire. And... Uh, Doing the same thing we always do, take those five chapters, we'll uh, briefly uh, run through the action and and summarize the events. Then we'll uh, nerd out about them like crazy, kind of talking about our favorite points and what we think's going on. But we will avoid spoilers until the end of the podcast. So if you're reading along at our pace, we're not going to spoil things that happen in the future until we get to our ending segment, Davos After Dark. Don't worry, we'll warn you when it's coming with a a nice musical jingle uh, that Matt has concocted. And uh, so you'll know you can, you can shut it down before we get there. Lastly, uh, we always say this, but if you want to contact us to suggest topics for, uh, for the show or uh, ask some questions, things we don't address... Um, you can always reach out to us for whatever. We love hearing from people uh in this wonderful fandom. Uh you can reach us through Davosfingers.com, that's our, our Tumblr site. Email at we are at gmail.com, Twitter at Davosfingers, or you can find us and like us on Facebook. Had a ton of activity over the last few weeks on uh, on the Twitter and the Facebooks. So uh thanks everybody for finding us and, and checking us out. And uh it's a joy to, to communicate with all you guys. So it really is. Yeah. One more uh one more note. The season five of the Game of Thrones TV show is coming out uh, April twelfth. So this uh, this this episode will drop uh, a week or two before that. Um, we just wanted to, to get on record a little bit about the show, and um, you know we 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 kind of watch it. Matt watches it uh, pretty religiously. I, I'm a little behind, but I, I do watch it. Uh, and Brooke seems to always know what's going on, but swears she doesn't watch it. <laughs> but, it's
1: hard to avoid. It's it's kind of seeped into popular culture so much that it really is. It's yeah, tricky to maneuver.
0: Very apropos of the the point I'm about to make, Brooke. So, the show heretofore has not been a huge problem. Um, they've kept mostly to the book. Angry Game of Thrones fan will disagree with me heartily. But they've made yeah. some departures, especially kind of like as they've gone, they've made more and more departures. And worse than that, with Season 5, they're actually surpassing where they are uh, in the books in, in certain uh, parts of the storyline. POVs, so, yeah. In certain POVs. So it's a little dicey for us uh, to you know through through the Twitter and the Facebook and everything to be talking about the show – uh, when you know we haven't even read in the books what's going to happen, some of us—I uh, guess I'm really just talking about myself—I'm going to stop watching the show. I, I want George to tell me through his pen or or, or really old computer program <laughs> exactly <laughs> where this series is going to go, and I don't want to—I I don't want HBO to be the, the venue that I see that. So I'm not going to—I'm not going to watch the show. But I'd be delirious if I thought I could really avoid kind of seeing stuff. I've already seen spoilers for season five that answer things in the show or in the book that haven't happened. So, yeah. and it's frustrating. I'm like, no, I didn't want to know that yet. Um, right. I guess the and point, the, the point time. is we're not going to be dicks about it, but, but don't, right. don't blatantly, don't blatantly go and, and spoil things all over our, our Twitters and Facebooks if you can avoid it. And, yes. and we do, we do like talking about the show. It's, it's a wonderfully done show. I don't mean to be grabbing on it at all. Um, they do a great job with characterizations and everything, and we like talking talk about that kind of stuff, but generally yeah. it's tough for our podcast and where we are.
1: Yeah, we might bring up occasionally offhand comments about perhaps actors that they've cast. Like Harrington, Admirable actor. Good-looking fella. Not who I picture as my Jon Snow, but not difficult to look at. <laughs> 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 but that doesn't change the fact that I will violently avoid spoilers about the books. (laughs) Like I'll cut faces to avoid spoilers (laughs) about the books.
2: Yeah. The problem that's with, with this is, and I think a lot of, a lot of the frustration people have is here going forward, pretty much season five and onward, anything that happens that hasn't already happened in the books uh, is is unknown territory for us. We don't know. It could be one of two things. It could be something that the HBO writers, Dave and Dan, uh, have concocted themselves or, or a divergence that they've made from the George Martin storyline. Um, or it could actually be a spoiler because we do know that they know you know the, the outline at least for the end of the of the books and so that's where you don't really know is if something happens that's different we're going to be like oh my gosh was that a spoiler or was that just a change I, I don't know i don't know i don't know and so that's what makes it a little bit frustrating is not knowing that um i think i've pretty much just had to keep watching I'm not quite as violently opposed to spoilers. I mean, with Star Wars, I saw Return of the Jedi first. That was the first ever Star Wars movie I've seen. So, like, the whole Darth Vader reveal (laughs) thing, like, meant nothing to me. I was like, yeah. Spoilers, Matt! God, you just (laughs) spoiled
0: the entire Star Wars. Jesus.
2: Your son's not watching, Scott. It's okay. Not listening, listening. yeah. Uh, Uh, But, yeah, I think that's... I think the three of us might be... Uh, kind of on different levels, but officially, as a, as a podcast, we stand united, and um, that is where we stand. As Scott and Brooke already iterated,
1: Way you putting it?
0: <laughs> we we, yeah. we agree that we probably can't avoid it, but we're going to do our best to try. <laughs> yes. right. Already that, so, that
1: one show spoiler, and Scad we haven't discussed it, but I know I know it's the same one that I saw. It's like insidious. It's seeped into my brain, and it's all I can right. think
2: about. If you do want to discuss show spoilers, follow me my individual Twitter account, guys, M Thacker, uh, and and DM me if you want to talk about it. And I think that'll be the best way to to keep it clear because I'm I, I'm are pretty much already decided I'm going to watch it. But don't Meet DM the corner the, of Eighth yeah. and Ninth Street in
1: Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> You'll meet a guy named Hank. It's a He'll speakeasy. A password. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speakeasy. Take that password. It's a secret knock.
0: <laughs> Shave and a haircut. Don't
2: forget it. <laughs>
0: All no, right. But
2: don't do it to the Davos Fingers Twitter account because Brooke's dad will see it. Do it to mine. So.
0: Okay. Uh, sorry about that diversion, guys. Uh, but uh, we just wanted to comment on the show. I know that, oh, gosh, I, probably most most of our listeners also watch the show. So we just thought we should address it and kind of talk about where we stood yep. real quick. Um, but that was all very informal and unplanned. We just kind of decided to do it right before we cast it, so it probably came off that way a little huh. bit. Kind of like everything else we kinda do. Kind of like everything else we do. All right. That said, uh, Brooke, your episode, uh, but my chapter. Do you want me to just get going? Oh, Aria, yeah.
2: horse face, underfoot, sticking with the pointy end. Aria, underfoot. Horse face, stick him with the pointy end.
0: Alright, uh, so Arya, she travels north from King's Landing with her brothers, but everyone else seems to be going in the opposite direction. Uh, it just seemed a little ominous as the flood of people exited the riverlands south towards uh, the presumed safety of King's Landing, until it became apparently a, a blatantly bad idea when a woman flat out says to them, They'll kill you, fools, and it isn't long before one of their numbered, uh, a cell sword, uh, does die in the night, uh, seemingly of, of some sort of coughing fit that he has, but a bad sign moving forward. Uh, they stop at an inn for a hot meal and a bath, but Arya eschews the bath uh, for fear of being found out um, that she's a girl. Uh, In the tavern, Yorin learns that there are four groups of men about in the Riverlands causing all this destruction. There's Lannisters, there's Tullys, there's Starks, and there are clansmen from the Mountains of the Moon. Plus, there's a pack of daring-ass wolves that are just kind of out there eating and taking and killing whatever they feel like. Arya can't help but dispute rumors that are circulating about these wolves eating babies. She knows for certain that wolves do not eat babies. But she's tossed outside for her uh creating, for her tongue creating these troubles. While she's out there, she approaches the wagon of the three dangerous men that have been taken from the Black Cells in King's Landing. Jock and Hagar of Lorath speaks to her. Uh he speaks to her kindly actually, but she still doesn't really trust any of them. The other two are clearly not good dudes. So she but she decides that she can't just shy away from them. So she comes just out of reach of the cage waits for one of them to jump out at her, then beats him with her stick. This is starting to become a theme with her, uh, using that training stick to just uh, ruin people for the day. J- uh, Gendry comes out, and he chides her for messing with these dangerous men, and her response is to pick a fight with them. So they're about to spar, uh, practice fight, when, a, when a, a set of gold cloaks arrive, and uh, Gendry and Arya both hide the gold cloaks demand from yoren a boy in the name of the queen arya is certain it's her and admits as much to gendry yoren says the boy is in the night's watch now and the boy's past doesn't matter you need to leave us alone they're they are brothers now the politics of the realm don't matter but uh the gold cloaks disagree the queen wants this one it's about to come to swords, and all the brothers join in at the ready. Uh, they're grabbing pitchforks and rocks and skinning knives and all manner of different weapons to, uh, to join their brothers in battle against these gold cloaks. But it's Gendry they want. Yoren pulls a fast one, though, uh, when they are announcing that it's Gendry they want. He puts a sword at the throat of the lead gold cloak. They dro- he forces them to drop their weapons and gallop off, but Yoren is certain that they'll be back. None of them know why Gendry is the one that they want, but the reader does. And that's how the chapter ends.
1: Yeah, they do. I love that there's already this sense of camaraderie among oh, the brothers.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, so cool.
1: And like, even Arya's like hot pie, but I hate hot pie. Yeah, <laughs> I see jumping to potentially her defense.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder if spending all that time together already trekking up to the wall also serves to kind of bond these these brothers together. Joran talks about how he could have taken a boat and everything, but you know, he's been doing this for like 30 years and I wonder if he's found out that that long walk besides probably being a little cheaper and it gives them the opportunity to pick up more recruits along the way. Also serves to have these guys spending time together and bond and and form that cuz I really like that too that guys were like, "I'll fight you. I'll fight you too." Yeah, I'll fight. It was really cool.
1: Yeah. I think seen so much suffering because of the war on their way up that they realize that they probably have it pretty good being potentially Mm -hmm. so far removed from all this crap wagons full of supplies you know their bellies full you are not even spoiling them to a hot dinner and a bath that's it's pretty sweet in comparison to dying on the side of the road
2: and they're going to a place where all of this politics and warring between different factions theoretically won't matter anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah if
0: they can just get there, which we'll cover a little bit more in Arya's later chapter yeah. too. Yeah, it was that the 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 camaraderie was one of the main things I wanted to point out. It reminded me of uh, Brooks. Going to hate it. Uh, Rocky Four again. Uh, so uh, quick summary. So in the, at the end of Rocky Four, so Rocky oh. Rocky is fighting. <laughs> this supremely gifted physical specimen, he's a Russian, fighting him in Russia on Christmas Day, just to set the scene. And the guy's just pounding Rocky the whole fight, right? But Rocky's so resilient, he keeps getting up, and eventually he starts winning the hearts of the of the Russian people. In a real sporting event, I don't imagine this would ever happen. But in the movie it does, and they kind of start cheering for Rocky, and they kind of get into supporting him and stuff. And at the end, my, my roommate Steve, shout out, I think he listens sometimes to the show. Uh, he he calls this Rocky the polit- or Rocky the politician, and at the end he, he says, he he basically comments that all these people's opinions of him have been changing throughout the course of the night, and and he makes it into this big uh, overarching statement about the world. Uh, you know, maybe if you can change and I can change, everybody can change, right? But what i was trying to say is.
1: If I can change, I and you can change, change.
0: and that's what happens here, right? Like, they've been through just a few experiences, and already they've just, they've come together and changed, right? For the better. It's great. It is. Yeah.
1: Great analogy. Thank
0: you.
2: So were the City Watch outside of their jurisdiction? The City Watch is King's Landing only. No, we're seeing a lot as, of this, as
1: the name would imply.
2: Yeah, right.
0: yeah.
2: Well, so we just we heard a lot of this going on at the the Lannisters. Like, you got Jamie leading, yeah. you know, Lannister men to beat up Ned, and now they're sending the city watch out of King's Landing to bring back Gendry. It's come on, guys. Yeah. Well, rules they, are rules.
0: At the end of at the end of uh, Game of Thrones, <laughs> uh, when they're talking about how Renly's proclaimed himself king and everything. They talk about Joffrey wanting to mount the gold cloaks as an army to march down yeah. and meet meet Renly. Oh my gosh, what a terrible idea that would have been! But but yeah, they, they kind of get the sense that they can do whatever they want with these guys, and it also kind of goes back to uh, Varus' riddle, right? Where does power reside? You know, who's 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 the cell sword going to kill? Uh, well, th- those gold cloaks are going to follow whoever they think has the power, right? And uh, yeah. Just kind of it's, a shadow on the wall, as we'll find out later. Yeah, and very, very much are, they're out of their jurisdiction. But yeah, the Lannisters don't care, and they're going to pay these gold cloaks, so they don't care either. Yep. Also,
1: I think it's just for lack of like a federal reserve of men. Like the same thing happened in Game of Thrones when there was looting and 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 Gregor Clegane out on the uh, the Riverlands. Ned was like, "Hey, who's going to volunteer to go out and take care of that?" <laughs> he can just be like, "Right." General whoever, go take care of that. He had to actually, like, get some knights to get some men to lead a party to go out and take care of that report directly back to him. So it sounds like the the gold cloaks are pretty interchangeable for a non-existent countrywide force. Well,
0: let's let's not forget what they're actually out doing. They're not doing anything different other than the fact that it's a different location. They're not doing anything different than what they did when they killed the 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 Barra. child yeah bara the child of the the whore in king's landing it's the same job it's a it's a terrible like these kids didn't do anything wrong like it's it's absolutely a deplorable thing that Cersei's doing in having these children murdered so you know are they outside of their jurisdiction yes both in place and in purpose like mm. they're they're not enforcing any law they're murdering people kids they're like the gotham police department yeah, that's what they are. before you know, before uh, uh, Jim Gordon. So, <laughs> yeah, until Jim Gordon comes and clean up, cleans up Gotham Police Department. Yeah, but it's it's a theme, this killing kids thing. You know, like we forget Robert. Well, I don't know if we forgot, but Robert's wanted to kill the Targ kids. Seriously, wants to kill the Baratheon kids. Like, where did this start and where does it end? It's just terrible. Uh, it's
2: it's it's sad how prepared they're trying to be like how on the ball they're trying to be like we're gonna stop potential rebellions before they even start what was that tom cruise movie where it's in the future and they they had some uh, system for predicting crimes before they happen yes and so they'd arrest people before um they committed the crime yeah and it's kind of like that they're just like. You know, this could be a potential rebellion causer or usurper, so we're going to kill him now. Yeah. And it's really sad. Well, it yep. actually
1: makes a lot of sense because, I've, as we've discussed, one of the overriding themes is that kids grow up fast in this world. Yeah. props a 15 year old so king.
2: Cut him off now.
1: And Jeff Joffrey's an 11 year old or 13 year old king.
0: And we, I guess, you know, we, sh- we shouldn't forget to underscore that well, some people consider the protagonist of this entire series, is doing exactly that. She's mounting an army of dragons to come take whatever she can. So it's not like the the fear is unfounded, but it's still, man, I don't know, Mm -hmm. butchering kids. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I wanted to talk, too, about uh, how awesome Arya is. I know, I I think I say this in every Arya chapter, but... (laughs) She just like she can't shut her mouth about the damn wolves in the tavern. And Yorin, the poor guy, he like cuts her hair off. He's like, Look, you gotta be a boy, (laughs) right? (laughs) And like at every turn, she's just like trying to completely out herself as to who she is. It's like, No, wolves don't do that. I love wolves. Wolves are my favorite. You know, like, come on, like, keep a low profile. He's gotta just be like shaking his head, like, Come on. Kid, just get out of here. You're. I
2: cannot Don't wait till I get to Winterfell and just drop this little turd off.
1: It always amazes me, though, how non sentimental she is, and it's admirable too. So it's certainly part of her survival tactic. Whenever she thinks about Nymeria, when when I read about her thinking about Nymeria, I tear up. But she's like, "Yep." Had to let her go. She would have been killed otherwise. Hope she's doing good. She hears about wolves out by the god's eye. Exactly where they're traveling to. I would have been like, making a plan to escape. Go find this wolf pack. Run with Nymeria for the rest of my born life. And she's like, well, she's gone. Hope she's doing well. she's doing well with all those wolves. Living my life. She's living hers. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. True. You also... and. Yeah, if if she knew, maybe if she had a map of the area, I don't know how much she knows about the area, but like maybe and she, she does
1: say at one point, "I wish I had a map."
0: Yeah, <laughs> she she thinks that she yeah she like thinks it's kind of close. She,
2: I think the God's eyes kind of by where we let. Him go. I don't know. Yeah, she yeah. mentions
0: the trident and like, is it close? And like, not really. Actually, right. if we're trying to find a wolf.
1: <laughs> maybe I'm not giving her enough credit, but I'm just saying it would be my number one focus.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the Numeria stuff with Arya is really sad, and um, we'll 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 get into that more later in this in this uh, episode, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, just a quick one: Do you guys know? I, I kind of mentioned in the summary. Do you know what this Pride guy, this Cell dies of in the night? Is it just he dies of sickness?
2: Well, I think so because they don't find, uh, at least they don't mention any like wounds on him, like a cut throat or yeah. anything like that. So unless someone. You know, stuck a pillow over his face. Yeah, I don't. Well, they mentioned the... see it being anything else than sickness.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a beautiful little uh, little bit there that that George wrote. Just part of the line is it felt as though the world were, or sorry, uh, yeah, it felt as though the world were holding its breath. And uh, she's kind of just commenting on the silence of the night uh, that night, and then the morning she realizes what she what was so weird about the quiet. She didn't notice she was missing this guy's coughing because apparently he used to cough a lot. Before he died, yeah. But I thought it was the 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 beautiful phrase there uh, felt though as though the world were holding its breath. It reminded me of when Ned died, and she said there was a soft sighing sound. Right? It's it's mm-hmm. very. She's kind of, I don't know. It's a almost a very spiritual way of of thinking about the the way the world speaks to you. You know. And maybe
2: that's an indication of her heightened sense of listening Ooh. and stuff that
0: she learned from
2: Serial. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's another thing. Always keeping Serio's lessons in the back of her mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, even even teaching them to Gendry. Yeah. At yeah, yeah.
0: yeah Gentry. He's gotta be like, What the fuck do you mean what? quiet as a mouse? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> she just keeps making these like one-liners and he's like, What are you what? What,
1: what is, is it? Is this? You weird little You're kid. like Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, It's also, also, that's a really good point. I'm really glad you observed that, because I almost feel like it's part of her heightened sense of maturity as well. Because most kids wouldn't be that aware of, like, the attitude of the world. They'd be much more insular.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So how about how about the one gold cloak that just calls and, and, like, totally calls her out as a girl? So, like, she's basically fooled all these people into oh, yeah. thinking that she's a boy. <laughs> And the gold cloak's like, shut up, girl.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, must, he must have a tomboy at home or something. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. Was like,
1: no one blinked, though. That was good.
0: Yeah, no one did blink. She's like, I'm, I am not. And they just believed her. Yeah, right. they never made that connection of, oh, we're supposed to be looking for a girl. Also,
2: that's, oh, about that age. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't even make that connection.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Dumb gold cloaks. Yeah. They really are. <laughs> They're, like the, they're like the red shirts on Star Wars, or on Star Trek, right? Yeah. Just like disposable.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, a little bit, actually.
2: Your tour of duty will last one hour. They're so like stormtroopers, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Look at these idiots. Let's give them guns. Yeah, <laughs> one of the
0: ways you know a stormtrooper is going to make it is when he's wearing one of the modified stormtrooper outfits and not just the regular standard issue one. They're like, oh, yeah, that guy will probably be okay. He's like... There's a
1: difference? Uh, you know different... what? No, I'm not opening this kind of worms. <laughs> Closing that can.
2: Stealing there's it up. There's snow troopers. There's welders. sand troopers. <laughs> there's scout troopers. I could keep going. Space well, there's the troopers.
0: there's the guys in, I don't even know their names. There's the guys in the red, the huge red cloaks. Like the, 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 Gord, the guard. Guards. Yeah, but they're yeah. still the same. Well, maybe they aren't. Oh, she closed it. She closed it. Let's move on.
1: Yep. You no, know, I'm just as interested in discussing it, but we should probably be wrapping We
0: should, yeah.
2: One final thing. Yorin he was he started doing this whole thing of going and recruiting people because he had like a bum shoulder and he was considered too crippled to actually defend the wall now. So I thought it was really cool that like in the snap of his fingers, he was up on that gold cloaks guy with his with a sword to his throat.
0: I didn't know but that about yeah. you. I had forgotten. Yeah, he has, like a,
2: he has like a bum shoulder.
0: No, I shouldn't know. That was the reason they sent him out that, that they felt he was yeah. not useful or whatever. I didn't
2: know that. Or cool. just, oh, he just couldn't pass the physical.
1: <laughs> was that covered in Game of Thrones?
2: Uh, I read it on the wiki when I was okay. reading up on Yoren, and it mentioned that. I didn't check the source of where it's actually said.
0: But. Oh, oh, Matt, you're fair. so prepared.
2: It- oh, well, that's what it said is that's why he started doing this recruiting stuff. And yet, even with that, he's still like right up on that dude. I thought it was so cool. Yeah,
0: yeah
1: totally. As I as love as I Yoren in my head that Jorin was the recruiter guy because he was like the only human alive who wouldn't be tempted to just run away. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> like part he, of it. He, yeah. He's the only black brother who really could get away without being beheaded.
0: Yeah. Although. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: But he's not tempted third. to. He's just like, he doesn't, he's obviously not worried about personal possessions or grooming. Yeah. <laughs> Just make he sure he's think. got
0: enough of that sour leaf,
1: yeah, he's awesome though. I really enjoy Yorin.
2: I think they mentioned he's got like lice or something yeah. <laughs> really a gross dude, but gets the job done
1: sure does love a love a good moral fiber yep okay uh John
2: yep. Where we're going up north where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf. He's giant Snow. So John finds himself in the depths of Castle Black. Uh, he's making his way through these underground tunnels that they call wormwalks. And it's this winding network of tunnels that connect all the Night's Watch castles underground. And he's going to the almost forgotten about Night's Watch Library in search of the cute and cuddly Samwell Tarley. Uh, he finds Sam poring over a variety of documents from fine leather bound books to old crumbling sc- scrolls. So it's now morning, and uh, Sam's been at it all night. And we find out that Sam is here on orders from Master Amon trying to find maps and other useful information for the impending ranging beyond the wall, which has Sam scared out of his skiffies, as it's been revealed that he will be going on the ranging to help maintain the raven. Uh, He'll be joined by 200 men from Castle Black, along with an additional 100 That are coming from the shadow tower 300 night's watch members in total will be participating in this ranging beyond the wall so sam he loves what he's found down in the library hence being there all night long he's found thousands of records that address everything from locations of wildling villages to tales of old rangers fighting giants to the language of the children of the forest, to even old food inventories for the Knights Watch's storehouses. And he wants desperately to have more time to go through and organize the library, certain that there's even more treasures to be found. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that while many of the Knights find their treasure in Molestown, Sam's finding it here in the library. Uh, Anyways, John helps Sam gather up his findings, and they head up to report to Lord Commander Mormon. And on their way, they run into everyone's favorite one-armed blacksmith, Donald Noy, who has become quite a supporter of John. And they talk of the recently arrived news that Rob is now a king, and also of the Baratheons. So remembering that Noy was once House Baratheon's blacksmith and was quite acquainted with the three Baratheon boys, And of them, I thought this was interesting and wanted to read the quote. Of them, he says, Robert was the true steel. Stannis is pure iron, black and hard and strong, yes, but brittle the way iron gets. He'll break before he bends. And Renly, that one, he's copper, bright and shiny, pretty to look at, but not worth all that much at the end of the day. So great. That's a great description from a blacksmith. So continuing on to Lord Commander Mormont, they find him in his solar with uh, Thorin Smallwood, who's currently acting as First Ranger. Smallwood's arguing that he himself should be the one leading the regime, not Mormont. But Mormont will have none out of it, and Jon and Sam are kind of just standing there watching this, like, awkward. Uh, Eventually Thorin leaves, and Mormont turns his attention to the maps that Sam's found. He complains there's not enough, but concedes to Jon's point that they'll work as far as out finding geography and locations. Mormont dismisses Sam and engages in a little small talk with John, talking about how they've sent envoys to all the new kings in the land, asking for recruits. He also asks how John's hand is doing. And when John brings up that Master Amon has set in, set him to do some physical therapy on the hand, so another role of a Maester is to be a physical therapist, Mormont suddenly becomes a storyteller, starting with did you know Amon could have become king? <laughs> and he then launches into this tale explaining that Amon, uh, back in his younger days, was the third son of King Makar, who was the fourth son of his father, the previous king, King the I. And so because Amon was so far back in the line of secession, the third son of a fourth son, Uh, And he showed a proclivity for learning. He was sent to the citadel at a young age to become a maester. And so Mormont goes on to say that when Darren died, so Amon's grandfather, his second son became king because the first had died. And that second son later died without having any kids. So the crown then passed to Makar, who was Amon's father again. So when Makar died, there was this great council that was convened to decide who would be the new king. Because you see, Makar's two oldest sons had already died, each of them leaving behind one child. The first child was a young girl who was being described as slow of wit. Uh, The second was a baby boy, barely a year old. So the other two choices besides those two were Makar's two youngest sons, Amon, who we've talked about, and Amon's younger brother, Aegon. And the crown was quietly offered to Amon with even a promise from the High Septon that Amon could be absolved from his vows as a maester. But Amon refused, not wanting to rescind his vows, and the crown passed to Aegon, his little brother. And then Amon, fearing that any folks who were dissatisfied with his younger brother's rule would seek to use him to usurp the throne, Uh, Amon voluntarily took the black and so began his watch. Um, John asks why Mormont went to all this length to tell him this story, and Mormont explains that John and Amon have something in common, a king for a brother. Mormont then says, and I quote, They will garb your brother Rob in silks, satins, and velvets of a hundred different colors while you live and die in black ringmail. He will wed some beautiful princess and father sons on her. You'll have no wife, nor will you ever hold a child of your own blood in your arms. Rob will rule, you will serve. Men will call you a crow, him they'll call your grace. Singers will praise every little thing he does, while your greatest deeds all go unsung. Tell me that none of this troubles you, John, and I'll name you a liar, and I know I have the truth of it. And then asked, you know, what he'll do about that with that knowledge. John admits he'll be troubled, but he will keep his vows. Ooh. That's the end of the chapter.
1: Whew. Ooh, it's a harsh, mouthful. man. Yeah. First of, oh, all, sorry. first of all,
0: good read, Matt. Second of all, thanks for the downer, Mormont. Jesus.
1: It's already <laughs> cold outside.
0: You got to come at me with this.
2: Yeah, what do you think was the purpose behind him telling this story? Was it to strengthen John and just, you know, like, I'm not going to mince words with you, buddy. It's going to be tough. It was tough for Amon. It's going to be tough for you, but uh, here it is.
0: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, um, more in Davos after dark. But yeah, I think. Yep. Uh, I think it, it serves to. It, it serves to give John something to relate to. You know, you're you're not, you're not the only one to go through something like this with, with uh, family being, being taken this direction. In fact, look at this guy. He was even a step beyond you. He was offered the crown. Like here's something to compare it to. Just keep your head, and I think I think I think the Nights Watch probably has some sort of go-to list of all of these sort of parables they can use to try to keep their people <laughs> kind of grounded and and keep their heads, you know, facing the wall, right?
2: Uh, yeah, it's like a an, a box of index
0: cards with yeah.
2: stories on them that he just pulls <laughs> out. In with case
0: in case of fire, break glass. In case of John having a brother almost becoming king, break glass. Yeah.
1: Well, I wonder too if Mormont keeps it holstered for people who disrespect Master Aemon because of his blindness or his oldness or whatever.
2: Oh yeah. It's just
1: a friendly reminder: he's a Targaryen; his ones offered the crown, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I also think there. I think there's multiple reasons that Mormont told John story and some of them are probably simpler than than some underwriting strategy for example if he doesn't tell john that story and that knowledge will probably die with mormont like like there's nobody else really keeping track right
2: yeah we all know you know how uh, how much esteem they place on writing things down like the library is never visited in this big mess and
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and also he he's grooming john potentially as we've discussed is a distinct possibility for leadership so uh he better enforce how valuable maester amon is going to be to john Mm -hmm. in all ways possible
2: i like that yeah Speaking of that library, another fascinating uh, side of the Night's Watch. It's like, oh, I want to go down there. They talk about having old Valyrian scrolls and stuff. Like, how much knowledge is down there that just no one even knows about? You know? It's crazy to think
1: about. Yeah. Thousands of books. When, like, the library at Winterfell, John's like, we had hundreds of books in our library. (laughs) Didn't
0: didn't John, in this chapter, just kind of come off as a meathead? A little bit. He's just like, they're just books, man. Like, they ate and they lived lives like, like we did. And they're just books and maps. And we had hundreds of books, no, man. They're just books.
2: I would be reacting the same way, though, if I found an inventory list of how much salted beef they had stored or something. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, know. I, I don't
1: know. I, I'd be, I'd be stamming all over that
0: stuff. I would, too. Yeah.
2: And to me, an, an indicator of uh, how little um, uh, respect or esteem that they place on the library is remember how excited Tyrion was to go to the Winterfell Library? Yeah. Which had hundreds of books. Yet it's nary a mentioned when he goes to the Night's Watch. And you yeah. think that if good this catch. was a well known library, Tyrion would be like, I'm all over this library. Yeah. Like
0: That's a good um, catch, and- Matt. That's BS. He would have definitely found this place. Right. And the so first question that, to ask is like, where do you keep your documentation?
2: Well, that just shows to me that like no one even respects that library enough to bring it up yeah. or it's not like it's not like renowned across the realm of that great library that they have up at the wall. Like no one even knows about it. So yeah. you think like how much knowledge is missing from uh what Maesters know down in the citadel and stuff like that that could be known if maybe just a little more care was taken with this great library that they have at the wall
0: that just goes that just goes with the lack of respect that the night's watch gets all over the realm in general right mm-hmm. it's dismissed just like everything else
1: if it happened in this aria chapter one that we haven't covered yet but at one point they get busted for stealing from a farmer uh yorn and yeah upcoming chapter one. yeah okay, never mind i'll wait
2: we'll get to it yeah yeah. but and i think it also just goes to show of the type of people that are up at the wall they're just not the type of people that give that kind of respect or whatever to you know historical documents and such yeah
0: yeah
1: rapers and poachers and thieves probably yeah. not so much didn't yeah.
2: grow up with a ton of probably books probably a few
1: exceptions in there but yeah
2: their their bookshelf was was rather sparse in their little hovels that they lived in
1: <laughs> literacy helps
0: they got a healthy lack of disrespect. <laughs> my uh, no my my friend my Is that friend a rocky No. Stop it. No, that happened to my my friend got sent in in high school uh got sent to the principal's office. Uh the teacher the sent a note with him that said he needs to see the principal for a lack of disrespect. And he just gave the note to the principal and the principal <laughs> read it and looked at him and he said, "I guess I should be rewarded?" And <laughs> the guy just said, "Yeah, just get out of here." Lack of disrespect.
1: That's really good. Yeah. But also something I can picture Sylvester Stallone saying in a rocky <laughs> voice.
0: <laughs> uh, apparently my Ben Fernandez voice is the same as my rocky voice. All right. Uh, I think that's... I got a, a small a small literary thing. Actually, I've got two things. First, the small literary thing. When John comes and finds uh, Sam... George says, Sam sat in in a niche, right? And he's specifically talking about a little niche in in the wall, right? Where he's just like kind of comfortably positioned. But I thought it was also a much broader term to say, this is Sam's world. And I thought it was uh, cleverly done. Um, That, you know, the niche is is the library itself, not just that little nook he's in. Uh, Secondly, uh, I really like the comparison to, we don't have to go into it too deep, but I really like kind of the comparison between Rob uh, and Robert Baratheon that Donald Noy is, is kind of giving, right? thought it was very interesting to hear John ask Donald Noy kind of about about these Baratheons and kind of put Rob in the same circumstances of just being crowned, right? I thought it was very interesting. But we can move on.
2: I, detect, I detected a small sense of envy still uh, of John, not outright jealousy for uh, of Rob, but a little bit of envy. Oh, sure. That, that John's... Always had. He's always loved Rob, but there's always been that little bit of envy. And not that that's a bad thing. It's a very human thing. And I just think that George throwing that in there a little bit makes John even more of just a human character.
1: For sure. I don't think it's all envy either. I think John has proven himself to be his own man. But Also, just like feeling left out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to be there too. John were like a team, or at least thick as thieves for all of their childhood. And uh, now Rob's off becoming a king, all without John's help.
2: Yeah. Yep. To the point. Yep.
1: But I want to go.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Also, I'm trying to think of the last time I was so engrossed in something, I stayed up all night and didn't even notice. I don't think there's been a time.
1: I've read books. I've just not gone to sleep.
0: Yeah, I've done that too, but I knew what time it was. And I was, like, consciously, like, I should go to bed. I'm not doing it. Right.
1: At one point, you, like, you like, tip over. <laughs> like, there's no point. If I go to sleep now, I'll just be too groggy when I wake up. I'm just going to push
0: through.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Don't worry, Matt. You'll get there someday.
2: I think oh, I stayed up pretty late watch watching you. Breaking Bad once. I think I stayed up till like, 4.30 or something. But that's as far as I've made it. Was in like the last three or four episodes, it's like just gotta finish it, just gotta finish it. <laughs> there's
0: All that right. there's that great episode of uh Portlandia that Brooke sent us where they uh oh, yeah. they binge watch Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they do so it for good. like for like weeks and they like lose their jobs weeks. and everything. Uh-huh. Oh, you guys should check it out, it's hilarious.
1: We'll link to it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So good so good what time is it it's
2: like daylight already how did that even happen
1: we just stayed up all night do you want to watch more my vacation day starts now so uh i think it's time to move on to Callan. this is a good one it is a good one but it's also a a, a thick pebbly, detailed one That's so she said. um yeah yep. hey oh, I don't want to ever encounter that one. <laughs> um, so I'm going to keep it a little broad spectrum so that we can discuss the details instead of me taking 10 minutes just to walk through the chapter. Mm-hmm. It might come off as laziness, but it's, it's a thought out strategy. Brooke, okay, we know your we game
0: am. by now.
2: <laughs> yeah, you do. Words will cut you like Valyrian steel through a hand. Can't love Jon Snow, and she's sure to let you know where she stands. A devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiance. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's Catelyn, Catelyn Starr.
1: Okay. So we open on Kat, watching Rob fidget with his newly formed crown. Rob is officially king in the north, and he's actually not doing so bad for a 15-year-old. Well, the majority of northerners thinks he's the bee's knees, but Kat is upset because Rob is sending Cleos Frey, a cousin of the Lannisters and a supporter of the Lannisters, even if the Freys officially support the Tullys and Rob. Uh, to give a list of peace demands to the uh, Regent Cersei and young King Joffrey. So what Rob is sending with Cleos is that he wants Ned's bones returned to fell, along with the remains of Ned's household guard, which, side note, good luck finding those bones. Like, <laughs> I imagine if they actually did follow through on these demands, they'd just send some random corpses, like... Long gone. Um, he wants ice, Ned's great greatsword. Uh, Rob wants an exchange of prisoners, the kingsmen that Rob took in the Whispering Wood for northerners taken at the Green Fork. He wants Joffrey to renounce dominion over the north, all the way down to the Golden Tooth and the mountains just before the Erie, which Sakosumapas, or however you say it. Sakusumabas. Thank you. It's it's a lot of land. It's it's quite a big chunk of Westeros if you if you do take a look at your map. So all of the north, starting at the Golden Tooth, which is below River Run and below um, uh, the Trident. Um, But most importantly, he wants to keep Jaime Lannister prisoner to secure Tywin's and Cersei's good behavior, and is only willing to part with. Two guys named Willem Lannister and Teon Frey, some lowly Lannister cousins, in exchange for his sisters. Of course, they still think that Arya is being held hostage along with Sansa. So this is what has Catelyn all riled up. And she confronts Rob about it, asking why his sisters aren't important enough to trade for Jamie Lannister. Rob stands around. He knows he's been made king pretty much out of thin air with only his loyal supporters to uphold the claim, and if he pisses them off by trading away a prisoner of such distinction, he could lose that support. So, he's playing a risky game here, but it's a tough decision, and he's made it. Uh, Rob evades her by changing the subject to why she won't go wait out the war at the Twins, or at least go with Theon Greyjoy to help him try to convince the Iron Islands to join the North and offer troops. But Catelyn gives some grief about that, too, not trusting Theon and definitely not trusting Baylon Greyjoy, who is Theon's father, who once rebelled against Robert and crowned himself king of the Iron Islands. And I like to, like, I like to think of the Iron Islands like Quebec, which I think only our Canadian listeners is gonna understand. <laughs> Quebec is a province in Canada who have referendum for their independence twice, once in 1980 and once in 1995. Every time they fail because there's just too many smart Canadians who live in Quebec who know how expensive it would be to like run their own country. I think Scotland tried this last year too. It's it's tough to change this late in the game. Anyways, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what the the Iron Islands Iron Islands are like that just guys, just stay with the realm. You're good for now. I think okay, Texas so... would be our
0: closest uh, similarity down here, maybe.
1: Oh, have they tried to?
0: Well, they were their own country for a, a while. Uh, before what? They, Yeah. And they um,
2: still pretty much just pretend to be.
0: They actually, yeah, kind of. But they, they actually, lot, actually, they're the only state that is allowed legally to fly their state flag at the same level as the national flag.
1: And I bet they do, don't they? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I've never noticed whenever I've ever been down there. Oh, I'm going to watch for now. So, yeah, Iron Islands, a little bit of Quebec, a little bit of Texas. <laughs> Actually, Western Canada has grumbled about leaving Canada as well, but anyways, enough about that. So uh, Rob finally skedaddles out of there with Grey Wind, and Catelyn asks Edmure to join her in her father's sick room. But Edmure is avoiding being alone with their dying father at all costs and takes off, but when Catelyn goes to Host- Hoster Tully's room, uh, Brendan Blackfish is there, and it looks like he has, at least from his end's, uh, reconciled with Hoster, and is sitting by his bedside, even though Hoster is unconscious. Brendan is uh, just back from. I see he was out ranging.
2: He's kind of the. Uh, he's kind of Rob's chief scout.
1: Yes, out scouting, and uh, he has a lot of things to report back. Big problem here. Well, after Rob and his army took River Run, he let. Edmure send all of his bannermen back to their own lands and holdings to uh, defend them. But In Blackfish, who's been out scouting, reports back that this was a bad plan. Brennan <laughs> reports back that all of these bannermen have... Um, Pretty much just failed in defending their own lands, and they would have been better if they'd stayed as a united force and uh, focused on uh, fighting Taiwan's own army. So basically, Taiwan wants them to attack them, attack him at Burnhall, so that he has the upper hand. But Catelyn and Brendan sort of start—I guess they're going behind Rob's back and start strategizing a way to at least take advantage of King Renly's forces, King Renly, because they're going to have to order him up for this. Um, So that uh, they can send Renly against Lord Tywin. Tywin will be forced to leave Harrenhal. Uh, Then Rob won't be faced with actually running to Tywin's, I don't know, big setup to fight on Tywin's own terms. Is that a good way of putting it? Like, this is like, very complicated
2: yeah and what makes it complicated is that uh, you know first we a few episodes back we were talking about the great position that rob was in and now we find that tywin's kind of made the best of his situation he's holed up in Harrenhal, hall which very well it's very easy to defend just because of how powerful the castle is um but also he's got on the other side of rob uh he said stafford lannister is there amassing more troops and the longer that they wait is just more time for stafford to get more men train them up get them ready to fight and eventually uh come to tywin's aid and so rob's his forces actually find themselves losing an army
0: while tywin's is actually growing the longer they wait time is a disadvantage is always an advantage for the people that are willing to be malicious and what's happened is time is allowed for tywin to just go burn shit and then kill people uh and and distract all the Tully people right and so
2: and kind uh, of regroup
0: too and regroup yeah and so it's yeah when you're when you're willing to be malicious like this you can just turn the tables because yeah good guys are going to try to defend people <laughs> and you're just willing to just destroy the world it's uh it's way harder to be a good guy the term is tie winning yeah indeed <laughs>
1: Way to bring that back. Yeah, so um, I really feel like between Game of Thrones and this book, Rob has grown in his power. He's certainly taken um, more decisive action without Catelyn's input. Catelyn has also become a little bit neurotic, I guess. Like, several times, mm. Gurm has resorted to italic fonts, Just to give us what's going on in Catelyn's head. And it's most regrets and missing Ned. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, which um, in Game of Thrones, she's actually pretty stoic about it all. She was like, yeah, my husband has been beheaded. My family is in shambles. My home is at risk, but Rob needs me. I'm going to be strong. I'm here for him she's kind of losing that edge a little now in, in the new book.
2: She's also, I wonder if that's also because of being stagnant for so long, you know, like they've just kind of been sitting around and I wonder if that's part of it too, is that's allowing those, her not being as busy has allowed those thoughts yeah. to creep back in. And she's had time to think, sorry, Scad, what were you going to say?
0: Well, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to jump on the back of what you're saying. She's had time to think. Um, I was, I was going to say first, so, you don't get a lot of this introspection from other characters, this look at the past, you know, should I regret, the, that kind of thing. It's kind of interesting that he gives us that with Cat because everybody goes through those thoughts with like, oh, yeah, geez, we should have done it this way, you know. But you don't get that from the other POVs. It's interesting that he lets us see that in Cat and not the others. Um, yeah. Well, I was just going to go back to Matt's thing also. So uh, just as a, as a comparison, when I was a kid, I had a really shitty attitude about sports. Like, I played all of them, but... Um, like when I struck out I'd get really upset. I'd like throw bats and like cry and scream and stuff. And in base so I couldn't play baseball because there's too much time to reflect on what you've done. But I was great in soccer because every time I made a mistake, I knew I was letting the team down if I like dwelled on it, right? So I had to like get up and get back immediately into the action. I couldn't I couldn't get upset. I couldn't afford to. But with baseball, no way. you you get to sit around till you're next at bat for three innings. Jeez. Same thing. Cats stewing. Yep.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, baseball is the time,
0: time is not on their side. Yeah, and not just Cat, too. <clears throat> he mentions the Northern Lords are getting restless, right? They want They want all blood. They the, want yeah, action, like just sitting Rob's around. Forces. Rob's yep. situation hasn't changed that much, really, other than just people are like, so what now? What's going on? And the on? longer they wait, the worse it's going to
2: get. The more the Riverlands are going to burn, yep. Yep. the the more time Tywin has to recoup his forces and, and train them at Lannisport under yeah. uh, Stafford Lannister. Yeah. like Time is not on this guy's side right now, and it is kind of on Tywin's side. He finds himself in a very, uh, we could say, a comfortable situation.
0: Oh, man. Do you guys want another comparison, or should we move on?
1: Sure, go for it.
0: <laughs> this is going to be the most vague comparison ever. So in The Girl Who Would Be King, the two main characters, Bonnie and Lola, are fighting each other, and... Lola is completely willing to just grab innocent people from the streets, fly them straight into the sky, and drop them uh, in, uh, just, and in groups, right? And so, and throw them hundreds of miles in either direction. Uh, so the antagonist is throwing innocent people hundreds of miles in either direction. The good character has to go and catch them. It's the same thing as the Riverlands Burning. They don't care if they just set a fire and walk away. It takes tons of time to put that fire out and to take care of all the people. The good guys have an uphill battle, and it's just, the time is just killing them.
2: Tywin's sitting at Heron Hall singing, time is on my side. Time is on my
1: side. It is
2: time. Rolling Stones. Mm.
1: I'm glad that we have the Arya chapters as sort of a foil to all this, because I don't think we really understand, I guess, the greater impact that all this warring is having without it. We told, Well, I would totally forget about it, at least.
0: Absolutely. It's something
2: that is glossed over a lot in these types of situations, and not just in the world of Gurm, but in any work of fiction or fantasy that has wars and stuff, is oftentimes you gloss over what's happening to the small folk or the, just the regular civilians that are caught in the middle of all this.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's going to be a major Gurm point a in the R.H. Very
2: good job. Yeah, Grim does a very good job of letting us know just what's happening to these poor people that are have nothing to do with this and yet are forced to be victims of the Game of Thrones. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you said the name of the book.
2: <gasps> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, change of subject, but huge mistake sending Theon to treat with Balon Greyjoy.
0: Uh, is that this- just
2: sounds like a big mistake to me. Yeah, Theon is uh theoretically we haven't met balon yet but theoretically theon would be balon's main incentive for joining with rob because rob could say hey i've got your kid here if you don't come and fight for me i can take his head off or something you know So so rob sending theon out to balon it takes that away in my opinion
0: yeah i think it's i think it's another uh I mean, it, and Kat calls it out in the chapter. He's like, "What are you doing? This is not a smart mm-hmm. move." I think it again speaks to the time. Like he's got, to, he feels like he's got to do something, right? Well, send, and and he does Kat's trust, advice. and he does, does trust Theon. Or yeah,
2: yeah, he does. Send another guy. Send Jason Malister. I love that guy.
0: Yeah. Send him. Theon has given us no reason to distrust him at this point. I think. No, I guess what he yours seems is, like a very staunch,
2: stalwart supporter of. Of Rob, and I, I'm not saying that Theon would do a bad job. I'm just saying, <laughs> saying Rob Balon is will his, take
0: his
2: his best bargaining chip yeah. and saying, "Here, Baylon, take your son back." Yeah. And instead of saying, "Hey, I've got your son here. If you don't help me, I can take drastic measures."
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm kind of taking Rob's side on this one. I'd say uh, a gesture of goodwill, giving back the hostage, with you know, oh, like that's a big attract, gesture though. You attract bees with honey, sort of thing. Uh, he should do the same thing he, with he Jamie doesn't, he doesn't have he, time and also he doesn't have a leg to stand on to enforce harming Theon if Balon doesn't join him he's not going to hurt Theon right
2: maybe he doesn't take the the harming side maybe he says um, I'll release him because Theon's basically a hostage right mm-hmm. so he says I'll release him from his you know uh, quote unquote captivity or his hostage situation and give him back to you um, to take his place as your rightful heir if you join with me or something like that, he could go about it more peaceably than saying, I'm going to take his head off. Cause I don't know if Rob could follow through with that.
0: How, <laughs> how about, how about the, the peace terms? We haven't really talked at all about that other than the summary. He has to know Cersei going to reject those. Well, right? I, th- I think it's purposefully an insult.
2: Or uh, is I... it just classic negotiation tactics where you go in really high planning on meeting somewhere in the middle eventually.
0: Do people do that type of negotiation via messenger over weeks of travel? Maybe they do.
1: <laughs> Seems. They, uh, well, the the messenger himself is also part of the whole treaty, right? Like instead of yep. just sending a raven, good faith, we're going to send. Even though they did make Cleos come all the way yeah, back, they're making him come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm (laughs) I'm like, yeah, like, heck, I'm coming back. (laughs) It feels to me like one, just like a a pronouncement of Rob's newfound power, but also he's feeling the the Circe waters. Like, her reaction to this will tell him whether or not King's Landing is taking him seriously, even after some of his victories. Um, You know, if if it's even worth going down the road of more negotiations.
0: I agree with all of that until he threw in the last part about keeping Jamie forever. Like that's going to be a non-starter. It's like it's like having a, a very constructive negotiation for an hour and a half, and in the last five minutes saying, "And you will give me all the money in your bank account for the rest of your life." <laughs> like no one can agree to those terms. It's it's like it's insulting.
1: Yeah, and 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 we should mention that Rick Carsark who's lost two sons in this war Yeah, and, and who is not interested in any peace treaty treaty. He wants vengeance walked out of the hall when Rob was making these pronouncements. It should be noted.
0: Should be noted. Also, uh, you mentioned, uh, you called it the kind of stabbing him in the back. Um, essentially I never, I never looked at it that way when they were talking, but, um, I think the idea to treat with Renley's brilliant. Why hasn't Rob thought of that already?
1: Uh, Pride mm. can only be one king.
0: Well, no, but he's not asking for that. Even in the peace terms to, to Cersei, he's saying, I don't care what you do. Just leave us alone. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. I think it just goes to his
2: inexperience. He's, he's got a lot on his mind as a very young 15-year-old king, and he hasn't, I don't think, been able to think outside the box. He's been so focused on I on guess my, my and, point is that's yeah, exactly
0: why he it's should it's try to keep somebody like Catelyn around she's sharp yeah definitely like she makes she makes mistakes all right she's not perfect and and matt you've mentioned many times that you think that's one of the best things about her right but she gives good advice she gives good counsel and this renley thing's a good idea
2: it is i agree it yeah rob you know got something to learn he is definitely a teenager where he's you know wanting to send his mom away to be with the phrase but uh send his best friend out on a mission to potentially bring a lot more soldiers to him. <laughs> it's classic teenager stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah, He's feeling a little more comfortable in his seat too, like yeah, when yeah. Uh, when Catelyn is arguing about... Oh, what was she arguing about? Um, oh, uh, trading Jamie Lannister for the girls, potentially. I was going to bring that up with Ennur, you. And <laughs> here at one point um, puts his hand on Catelyn's shoulder and is like, the boy is right, Catelyn. <laughs> and Rob's like, don't call me the boy.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I am your he's king, like, he's sir. Up for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's his own uncle, too. So, yeah. Interesting. And, you know, he didn't, he had a right to kick up a bit of a fuss. I mean, he has to make it known that he's the one making decisions now. But uh, it was just, it was a good little scene.
0: Yeah. What do you think about that whole thing? With the girl. I'll just say the girls not being important enough to exchange for Jamie. How do you, how do you feel about that? Smart. Smart. Yep. Strategically smart.
1: I don't know. I don't know.
0: Um, I think I wanted to feel indignant about it. Like
1: girls are just as
0: important. But in the end I was like, yeah, it's not fair if he does make that trade.
1: Yeah. I think he needs to like cable plan bundle his requests a little better. (laughs)
0: wow
1: <laughs> so um, you know what let's, let's wrap up Catelyn here uh, lots to talk about maybe a little more on Davos after dark but uh Mac, you take us on to Tyrion
2: you betcha I can
1: Excellent.
2: cripples and bastards and broken things but the power of the mind can give you wings drinking and japing and yeah ladies Tyrion, Lannister, Rorymp if you please so, Tyrion's having some din din with everyone's new favorite lord, Janos Slint, former commander of the City Watch and new member of the Small Council. As he pours him cup after cup of wine, which Janos gladly accepts, Tyrion begins to disguise interrogation as small talk. He first asks Slint about his proposed list of successors as commander of the City Watch, and Tyrion says he's, he's considering one. Do you guys say Jacelyn or Jacqueline Bywater? <laughs> Jacqueline. I've always said Jacqueline I, <clears throat>
0: <clears throat> I think I say Jaslyn oh, can't be right
2: <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I'm going to go with Jacqueline because that's just first what came to mind uh, who, a knight whose name wasn't on Slint's list Slint replies that Bywater's too rigid and that, rigid and that Tyrion should really consider others especially one Alar Deem one who's little loved by the small folk but does his duty even going so far as to on orders kill a young whore and her infant daughter recently Tyrion asked on whose orders that occurred, and Slint politely and slyly refused to tell him. The conversation then turned to Edard Stark's execution. Remember, Slint was up there and even held up Edard's severed head after it was removed by Ilan Payne. And Slint laughs, saying that even Varys was surprised when that happened. He did seem taken aback, however, when Tyrion informed him of Cersei's plans to let Edard take the black. So it's then that Tyrion, uh, perhaps referencing Slint's new sigil of a bloody spear, deals some killing blows to Slint, saying that Slint, along with individuals on his proposed list of successors, are to board a ship headed north where they will take the black. Slint is understandably infuriated, threatening that his powerful friends like Joffrey and Littlefinger and Cersei will speak for him. Totally goes for the name drop. He then storms out of of the room. When he opens the door, however, to storm out, he is met by none other than Jacqueline Bywater, who Tyrion introduces as the new commander of the City Watch. Uh, Tyrion instructs Bywater to escort Slint and the names on his list to the boat that's to take them to the wall, slyly adding to Jacqueline uh, that if Alardim was to be thrown overboard on the way up to the wall, uh, he wouldn't be missed. So then Varys enters for Act 2 of this chapter, and he's praising Tyrion for his quickness in dispatching slent. Uh, Tyrion's none too pleased with Varys, though, for not telling him about the killing of Robert's bastards, deducing that it was Cersei who issued the commands. Uh, Varys doesn't disagree with that and replies that he was able to save one of the bastards, an older boy, (coughs) Gendry but had no idea that the infant would be killed, uh, thinking that the infant wouldn't have been a threat. So the talk uh, turns back to Eddard's death again, with Tyrion saying that it seems Joffrey truly was to blame for it and was just acting in his normal monstrous way. Uh, but he does note that Slint and Illen Payne carried out the sentence so quickly, it was almost as if they were expecting to do it. And Varys doesn't disagree. But they change the topic and move on. Returning back to Varys' riddle with Tyrion noting that uh, power seems actually to lie with the man with the sword. Varys corrects him saying that power only resides where people believe it resides. Power, he says, is a mummer's trick. A shadow on the wall. Um, But he also notes that shadows can kill. And also that a very small man can cast a very large shadow. (laughs) You can almost see Tyrion's sly smile here as he admits that he is growing fond of Varys, and then they make out. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Then he asks who he really is. Varys replies that he is but a loyal servant of the realm. And after a bit more small talk that we won't get into here, uh, Tyrion leaves and encounters my boy, Bronn.com. And wanting to draw on Bronze's deep well of uh, dry wisdom, he asks him if he would, without question, kill an infant if he was commanded to. Bronze replies very telling. He says, without question, no, I'd ask how much. The chapter ends.
1: Such a good chapter. Yeah. (laughs) Great chapter.
2: Oh my gosh, uh, attribute it to Tyrion, but then I guess overall attribute it to George R. R. Martin. It is so much fun to watch Tyrion just pick apart Jono Slint little by little throughout this chapter. My summary didn't do it justice. It's so much fun to sit and watch him do that. And
1: no, you did a really good job. Just
2: slowly work away at him until Slint's just a bumbling mess.
0: The old um, get em drunk first trick, eh? I've used Always that. Always works. So how you know? I netted my girlfriend in college. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was so good, and I loved also the tita a tete with Varys, too. Oh yeah, look how they're they're both really really fun. smart. Yeah, and Tyrion has no problem being like up front and forward and revealing of his intellect to Varys. but Varys never cracks. It's just like, Oh yes, I'm just here to serve the realm. Yeah. Oh yes, of course I'll tell you next time something happens. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, he just he just will not like let his facade crumble. It's fantastic. And then the whole braun scene, you're 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 like loving Braun because he's he's being cool, and he's reporting back to Tyrion, and he's being hilarious, and they're like, oh, he would kill a kid. No, yeah. that's too
2: bad. <laughs> he, reminds, he reminds us that he is a sellsword. Yeah. Going back that to is the... what makes him quite valuable to Tyrion, actually.
0: Going back to the Varus stuff, I love the actual content of, of all that discussion with Varys. What they're actually doing is making a bunch of judgments before it even gets to the king, and it reminded me Tyrion's very quick, very seemingly just decisions, it reminded me of the day Ned sat the throne, and I was like, "Yeah, he is here to do justice. look at him go like he's not overdoing it, and he's kind of punishing where he needs to, and you know i i I loved seeing Tyrion's mind just kind of dole dole out these judgments very quickly. rapid fire, right, we got shit to do, yeah
1: yeah, he's being a great wh- hand
2: yeah that's one thing I wanted to bring up is so far doing the job of the hand, Tyrion's rocking at it. And he's kind of, in a way, deconstructing a lot of what Cersei built yes. up. And I know the hand's job is to support the king, but he's kind of deconstructing it, breaking it down to build it back up the right way. Yeah. And it reminds me of that promise he made to Cersei that he'd run everything by her. Before yes. he did <laughs> and he's already like, screw that.
0: Yeah, the first real action we get to see of Tyrion as hand other, other than going to claim that he's handed to, to Cersei in the last chapter, is cleaning up Cersei's mess with yeah. with with how they, you know, knighted and gave gave Hall to this oaf of an idiot man, right? I, I thought it-, it interesting that he didn't kill him,
2: or anything like that. He he sent him up to the wall. Oh, he's
0: keeping his promise to to Jorah, or to yeah, uh, Jr.
2: That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, is he, he shows that he remembers Jr. and that they need men up at the wall and. He's like, I can kill him or I can give him to the wall. I'll give him to the wall. He's probably good in a fight and stuff. So
1: Hey, sending tons of guys up to the wall. Well two so far. But still. Um I find it interesting though, like, so when Tyrion is interrogating Janos about his actions in the day of Ned's execution, it's almost like he was expecting Janos to not heed the king right like he expects someone in that position yeah. to not take Joffrey seriously mm-hmm. to avoid disasters like killing Ned in front of the crowd
0: he might have been baiting him like saying the king's 13 hoping that he would say yeah but the queen told me to do it too or
1: yeah oh, something
0: but I don't know I, who knows but, but I, uh, I agree it's kind of not fair it's like we live in a society where the king says you do it or your head jumped off. What do you want me to do? I'm like, I have to do what the king says. It's kind of not very fair.
1: Yeah. I guess Janus was just never smart enough to realize that he doesn't need to do what the king says when he commands the gold cloaks. Yeah. But,
0: That's yeah. that uh, illusion of power thing. Um what 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 is he actually being sent away for?
1: Uh, <laughs> great question. I think uh, well, at the end, uh, Tyrion tells Braun "I I took out a uh, commander of the Gold Cloaks that Littlefinger put in, and and then gave the position to someone Barry's recommended.
0: Was it I'm, just
1: to to replace a man in that position of power?
0: Well, yes, I think I think I think in the game that is his reason. I'm I'm looking for what the superficial reason is. Did Jono's break a law? Because <laughs> because I think uh, I'm I'm. Cheering Tyrion for doing this to Janos, but at the same time, two chapters ago, I'm yelling at Cersei for going and executing her own justice with the gold cloaks and finding Gendry, when really it's the same thing. And I'm cheering Tyrion and, and uh, you know, hating on Cersei for it. I, don't I think-, think,
2: here's what I think, and I've, I've got to be careful with the way I say this I think Tyrion is banking on Janos's. Kind of hesitancies and wariness of where Tyrion's going with his questioning as an admission of guilt. Does that make sense? Um, because what Tyrion I think is trying to get at is: Did was this execution of Ned premeditated, or was it really just Joffrey? Uh, and he takes Jonos's kind of iffy responses to that question as an admission of guilt. And then when Janos doesn't put up too much of a protestation because Janos never like proclaims any sort of innocence or anything, all he really says is, if I remember correctly, is he just starts name dropping, right? Well, so-and-so will speak for me. So-and-so will speak. He doesn't ever say, but I didn't do anything wrong, Tyrion. I didn't do anything wrong. He never says that. He says, uh, well, so my friends will stick up for me. And I think Tyrion's kind of taking that as admission of guilt. So Does you're saying sense?
0: he's actually being sent to the Wall for the murder of Ed Stark? Yes. Okay.
2: All right. I think that's what Tyrion wants out of it, and he's taking it that Janos didn't uh, try to explain himself away or anything as an admission of guilt. Mm -hmm. It's a good question, and it's like, yeah, why? What is going on here?
1: Yeah, you kind of just get caught up in Tyrion's little web there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How cleverly he handles that all that. You know. That's a great question. What was the the superficial reason? Also great meal description. I, I think mm-hmm. it's awesome that first thing Tyrion did in the and ha- the position of the hand of the king is the same thing that I would do.
2: Get the best cook around. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, uh, mm-hmm.
1: And and he hired a woman, which I love, and I love that several times in this chapter he thinks about the, the humanity, the humanness of the whores that he's known. Yeah. When so yeah. many people dismiss them, like when he got mad at Janos for for having Barrow's mother killed. Well, she was just a whore. Yeah, just a whore. And he thinks instantly of of Shay and um,
0: Taisha. Oh, Taisha. Side note: yeah. How many kids does children does or how many uh, kids does Tyrion have out there in the world? Over under ten. <laughs> Who knows?
1: I think he'd know about them.
0: You think? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a pure speculation question, and one one I mostly meant in jest. Uh. But.
1: Um, yeah, so all agreed, great chapter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, should we, should we move on to the next Arya one?
0: Yeah. Um, oh, she had something the, else, Matt. Well,
2: I know that we're pressed for time. I, I wanted to bring up why Varys would save Gendry in the first place but I don't know that we know enough to do anything more than just speculate. But it is interesting that Varys, um is kind of undermining Cersei a little bit and trying to get these bastards out before they can be killed, at least Gendry. And I don't know if there's a specific reason
1: mm-hmm. or what. Yeah, confirmation that it was Varys. You mentioned in one of our previous episodes that, because I was like, who did that? And you're like, it was Varys. <laughs> it actually gets mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, good, good question. He says it like, like, it was nothing. Like, it was...
2: He's Like, yeah, I got the one kid out. I wasn't able to get the baby, and I feel bad about that.
0: Yeah, yeah I'm just like, I'm a good guy. Uh, of course I would do that.
1: Yeah, and, like, nobody told him to do it. He just wanted to do it.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's some Serving the somewhere. realm.
2: Yeah, yeah, he says he's serving the realm. That apparently doesn't mean serving uh, Cersei Lannister, because he does seem to be undermining her back, when even when he was working with Ed Stark. And now he's... I don't know. Varys is so
1: sly. I love
2: him.
0: Maybe he just uh goes in for the scattery and he likes where Gendry's headed physically. He wants to save it. That's
2: probably what it is.
0: Yeah. Yep. You nailed it.
2: Nailed uh, it. Move on. Aria chapter, please. <laughs> Aria! Horse face! Underfoot! Stick him with the pointy end. Aria! Underfoot! Horse face! Stick him with the pointy end.
0: Alright, well um, so I had a whole, a whole thing written out for Arya's chapter, um, but taking a page out of Brooks' book, I, I, don't, I don't think a summary of what happens really serves what George is accomplishing in this chapter. And what George is... So I'll, I'll just lay out what George is accomplishing in this chapter, and then I'll mention a couple key things that happen. I think it'll be quicker that way and, and more powerful. So what George finally does in this chapter, after chapters and chapters of just hearing uh, of the battles... That are surrounding uh, all this destruction and fires and burning and murders and pillaging of uh, the areas around around the God's Eye. It, you finally get to see how it affects the real people, right? And you get a little bit in the previous area, chapter two, but it's more powerful here. Um, the people are in bad shape. Uh, they, you know, they come across uh, people guarding their farms from being robbed. A guy perched in a tree with with uh, a bow and arrow, just trained on anyone that comes by, ready to shoot people. Uh, you get, uh, you know, people protective a couple ears of corn for some people, some travelers that that need it that are helping protect the realm in the north. You get perhaps the saddest tale of a completely torched village, just burned to the ground, bodies everywhere. They only find a two year old who can't speak and a woman with her arm severed off. Um, these are all the direct result of war in this land. And it's mm-hmm. painful to read. And I don't know how Gurm does it, but you can feel the members of Arya and her brothers. You can feel the members of that group. You can feel their souls just getting weighed upon. You can feel them just getting beaten down by what they're seeing every day as they travel. And it's uh, it's it's a it's, it's really a brilliant chapter. The first time I read it, I I was just like, what's going on in this chapter? Nothing's really happening. And the second time I read it, because you know I have to talk about it in this show here that we're doing, um, I was like, well, you know, what am I going to say? And then I, I I read I reread it, and it's very powerful. It's very moving if you read it from that perspective. So I would recommend taking another look at it, uh, like I did, uh, and just kind of looking at it from the the commoner perspective and really how it's affecting this land. Because that's the power of this chapter. Very different than the cleverness and the fun of the Tyrion chapter before, but no less powerful. There is, uh, there is one bit uh, that I want to talk specifically about at the very end. Arya gets up late at night to go on a piss pissadventure, uh, which is my <laughs> word of the day. Word of the day! Yeah! Uh, like misadventure, a pissadventure, is when you get up to go pee in the night and bad things occur.
2: Like you pee in the drawer instead of a toilet?
0: I've ne- I don't know why I thought of that. It just came to my head. Did I tell you that story? Oh, never mind. <laughs> so so she goes uh, to the woods to take a piss. Uh, she has to do it away from everyone else. A wolf emerges, not just one, but many, many eyes of wolves, a whole pack. Uh, and she can kind of sense them around her. One of them sneaks out, kind of sniffs at her, looks at her. And then the whole pack leaves. Uh, Arya thinks of Nymeria and is sad. She goes to seek comfort from Yorin, but he offers very little. She can't sleep and lays awake to the sound of wolves in the wood and the screams on the wind. And that's how the chapter ends. So, um... wolves! Wolves. Oh my gosh! So I don't know, guys, if that chapter summary was effective or not. If there's something specific that I didn't call out that you want to talk about, please jump in.
2: No, I loved I loved the way you did it. You did it very well. I thought of John Hammond in Jurassic Park saying, People
0: are dying. People are dying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice.
0: Very nice. Um this is I thought it was Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was good. This is a point that somebody brought up for Davos After Dark, but I think it applies here. And it's if Everybody that uh, Arya is traveling with knew that she was a girl. Do you think that would change this protectiveness, this camaraderie, this, this, I don't know, black brother feeling of unification that they have?
0: Like you're a girl. It's different now.
1: Yeah. Do you think that they would say, mm, I don't know. Yeah,
2: because Yoren's initial idea for doing it was to. Get her out of King's Landing safely without people knowing that she's Arya Stark. Mm-hmm. So now, after they've spent all this time bonding together and walking, and kind of that danger is sort of past. Um, could he reveal the secret?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I get what you're saying. It's like, oh, we're all in this together. We're we're going towards this same goal, and then you find out, oh, the goal the whole time was to save this chick. I didn't. I didn't know that. And that isn't really Joran's only goal, but, but I could see how people might perceive it that way. Is that what you're getting at?
1: Oh, I was just wondering if she would they would treat be her safe. differently? Yeah. Oh. Oh. And I, I kind of think that if they found out that they had a Stark girl, like um, a daughter of the executed Hand of the King, it would actually give them more of a, a feeling of purpose. And they'd probably rally around getting her safely to Winterfell. And they would probably be less complaining.
2: That's that's giving them maybe more credit credit. than I would give these
1: guys.
2: (laughs) I think that maybe some of them have – they're going to the wall and they're sticking together more because they're resigned to that fact that they have nothing better to do or they have nothing better for them. They can sit in jail or live out on the streets or they can go to the wall. Here now they have the chance – that maybe if they know that this is Arya Stark, maybe one or two of them can be like, hey, if we nab this girl in the middle of the night mm. and we can hold her ransom and maybe we can get some cash out of her or something like that. Good point. They, they might suddenly see a light at the end of the tunnel for them that's not the wall.
0: I think it's more like, uh, harkening back to my Rocky thing, uh, they see in each other kindred spirits. Kind of like Matt was saying, uh, n- nothing... You know, they're kind of unified by the fact that they have nothing else going for them. And then they find out they're traveling with the son of a king and the son of a hand, or the daughter of a hand. And they're like, what the hell, man? These guys aren't like us. And the unification kind of goes down. Kind of like if, uh, you know, like Rocky winning the the people, they're like, oh, this guy isn't like us at all. We, we're we not going to follow him at all, right? <laughs> they're like, this Arya, really? This is what it's about? I I don't care about her. I, I care about these guys that are like me. But I don't know. I, I don't know if was, yeah. she would be unsafe. I don't know.
1: Very yeah. astute, both of you.
0: I like
2: the idea, though, of them rallying behind her and being like, yeah, let's get this girl home. She's suffered enough. Let's let's get her back where she belongs.
0: She hasn't suffered any more than any of them. Um, But I don't know. Well, well you're right. I just because they, full they stories, all but.
1: in the previous Arya chapter, they all came to the defense of somebody. Yeah. They didn't even know who it was out of their group. A boy. It could have been any of the orphan boys. Yeah,
2: yeah. And so, like, well, yeah, we'll fight.
1: Yeah, but but yep. you're right. It's because they all have, they're all black brothers now. They all have a common non-purpose purpose. So, yeah.
0: I did want to bring up uh, just Sakinsus and Sus Mapus again. Uh, the map at the beginning of your books called the South. You know, I think we've talked a little bit about the God's Eye before, but just to trace their journey real quick. By far. The fastest way to get from King's Landing up to the Wall is the King's Road. It's nice and paved and wide, and you don't have to stop for an ox cart that you meet along the way. Um, You know, you can get there fastest. Because of the Gold Cloaks following them, and potentially maybe because of all the violence in the Riverlands, they're taking a much more circuitous, much longer, much more difficult path. And what they're basically doing is when they get to the God's Eye, they've kind of turned left before they got there, and they're going to turn left a little bit more and go around the other side of the God's Eye away from the King's Road. And it's really yeah. going to – it's going to cost them a lot of time to do this. A lot of time. I mean we're talking about weeks if not months of additional time to do this.
2: And Joran's like, "Yeah, you're just going to live at the wall for the rest of your lives anyways. So, yeah, what's a few more weeks or months?
0: <laughs> yeah. Doesn't he actually say that? Yeah, basically, yeah. Uh and he also laments not taking a ship. <laughs> yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which which oh, underscores... I
2: could have taken the which ship.
0: Which underscores a little bit of the point you guys said before about, well, that's part of it, is getting this group of guys and being on the road for three months while they go north. Well, a ship road wouldn't really trip. do that. Yeah, road <laughs> trip.
1: Yeah. It makes me love Joran more, how he really regrets losing anybody on the road up there. And in 30 years, he's done his best to lose as few as possible.
2: One every 10 years on yeah. average.
1: I wow. mean, he had to take out one of them, but yep. that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. I really love that he is—he is truly a dedicated member of the Night's Watch. Yeah, like, very up, up much. there with dalnoy and and Joram uh,
2: Yeah, totally. Yep. I wonder what his backstory was. I'd love to hear—you know—what brought Joran to the Wall, and
1: yeah.
0: Calling George Martin. Calling George Martin. We have another side story for you to write.
1: Yeah, so funny story, After he does you're not done with the like it books. when you call, it, call him in his personal home. He does not respond well to that.
0: Did, did you did do that? You, did you call him?
1: No. <laughs> okay, so say, how
0: did we get this far without hearing this story?
1: <laughs> but haven't you wanted to in the past?
0: Oh, totally. No, because I don't want to distract him any more than he already is from finishing. i
1: your heroes either.
0: It's not about that. It's about self-sacrifice so that everyone else can get the book Two hours earlier that I would talk to him.
1: I feel like it's Davos after dark time. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm ready to move on from Arya unless you guys have anything else.
2: Totally Nameria. Just just calling out that it's leading the wolf pack. They never actually say it, but it's gotta be her, right?
0: Wait, did you just go into Davos After Dark?
2: No, I'm just saying that I totally think it's her.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. It's
2: gotta be, right?
0: Uh yeah, you'd think so. I don't think it was Nymeria that came out and sniffed her. Um No, I think she would have recognized her if it was. But But yeah, I think it seems it seems like Seems like Navia is probably there.
2: Yeah, if we can trust the tales of the small folk. Yeah, yeah.
1: a big she bitch of a wolf I think she was called.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. another
2: good word of the <laughs> word of the day start calling people.
1: <laughs> I have to double check that, but it's a good one. <laughs> um, okay. So, thanks Seems to Seems a little
2: redundant, but
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'll a little just... bit.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Good episode, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're about to move on to the spoilerific portion of the podcast called Davos After Dark. So if you do not want to be spoiled for the rest of the series, please stop now and join us in two weeks, where we will be covering Davos 1, yay, Dan 1, Danny 1, John 2, and Arya 4, or... Chapters ten to fourteen, according to the Wiki of Ice and Fire. All right, Ooh, let's go. We'll be
2: debuting two new songs, two and a half new songs.
1: Oh yeah, Sweet. new songs too. Yeah, Davos,
2: Theon, and then we've adjusted the lyrics a little bit to the Danny song since <laughs> Khal Drogo's
0: dead. I love how you say we like like Brooke and I have anything to do with it.
1: Yeah, it's all Matt's talent, guys. We're
2: we're, we're together in this. Stop.
1: We're all Dude. in this
0: together. No. <laughs> all right. All right. Davos after dark. I forgot that we hadn't had <sighs> a Danny chapter yet. Yeah, it's exciting. It took a while to get back to her.
1: Yeah, right. let's just hearken back to who said that ja- Danny was the protagonist of the series. Is that you, Scat?
0: I said some people think that.
1: Okay. Do you think that?
0: No. No, it's I think Danny's got a ton then. of flaws. Well, I actually, I actually, protagonists can have flaws. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. I mean, like, I don't know that there is one. That's the thing about this story. Is
2: I think Jon Snow would be the closest to a protagonist.
1: There was a protagonist. (laughs) there was <laughs> and then george yeah, got sick yeah, George of them. killed him
0: yeah. <laughs> well i think we i think that how was a george message feels
2: about protagonists
0: i think that was a message to everyone everyone identifies Eddard as the protagonist and i killed him there will be no protagonists okay. here move along to something else if that's the story you want to read yeah stannis it's so great
2: Oh, stannis has a huge following he, he been does he called out on twitter a couple of times oh my gosh well by the stannis supporters we should we should
0: we should God mention this so I mean, obviously, not everybody's plugged into the the Twitter machine and everything, but we get involved in because of the name of our podcast. We get involved in ton of like Stannis cheering section stuff, propaganda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like propaganda for Stannis, and we're like, okay, I, I really do like Stannis, but I'm okay. not like a, I'm not like a fanboy. But uh, I think because of the name Davos After Dark, everybody assumes that we're that we're Team Stannis and everything, and it's not. It's not necessarily really the case. We just love the name um, of. Well, I don't even love remember. Davos. We we do we love, love Davos, Davos, yeah. And I don't even remember how we came up with the name. To be honest, we were battering about Where a bunch you, of Gad? names.
1: It was you, Scad. We started an ill-fated blog.
0: Yeah, right. But we battered around a bunch of names. I don't remember who came up with it. But anyway, I don't I know if people care you. about any of this. But we, we are not necessarily Team Stannis, just because we have Davos after dark as our or, or Davos fingers Davos. as our name. But you know,
2: still include us on the propaganda. It's fun. I love seeing it. and I love responding to the uh, jabs after we say anything remotely detrimental to his character. They like calling him a whiner. (laughs) They
0: they (laughs) jumped. They jumped on you. There was like four of them or something.
2: (laughs) Yeah, our buddy, our best buddy, Brendan Blackfish, was quick to. There was any character that needed offered his opinion.
1: less. (laughs) (laughs)
2: oh we love you guys we love you (laughs) we love you like crazy all right Uh,
1: where do you want to go brooke yeah Uh, um well does anybody have anything they're particularly passionate about we touched on the eamon Gior thing but i don't know if there's anything more to that uh, da, 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 da. well, I
2: do think that it maybe had a dual meaning of uh, why he told the story. There, yes. there was that one that we talked about in the in the in the regular portion of the podcast of he's wanting to draw that parallel or use Amon's story as a bit of a parable for John. Um but also I think he he is starting to prepare John a little bit by giving him an idea of, of lineage and um, you know, kind of where John comes from a little bit. Yes. Yeah maybe 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 we get the the crow uh, or the raven saying king to uh <laughs> to to john john thinks it he's saying it about mormont but um it says and then there's that line i'm trying to get to it real I'm, quick but i, I won't i've where, got one where John's, go, go, ahead, where sorry, go ahead he says is it the one where mormont just stared at him yes exactly kind of that. Him there yeah.
0: i mean people people on like the forums and everything give no end of shit for the amount of Speculation I'm going to do from this one line, and it's probably deserved. But this is the line that makes me think JR knows. It's it's one of the lines that makes me think JR knows that John is who he is, and that he's in on this Team John thing, and that he's telling him this story, because this isn't just history, this is your family's fucking history. So pay attention. It's a very simple line The realm has three kings already. And that's too, too many for my liking. Mormont stroked the raven under the beak with a finger. But all the while, his eyes never left Jon Snow. You ever tell somebody something, and you're really telling them to see how they react? And it's not the way you usually tell things, like you're just casually talking, your eyes are drifting around, checking things out in the the world. You stare directly at them to look to see if they twitch to look to see if their eyes move, to look to see how they respond. That's what Gior's doing here. He's looking directly at Jon Snow and staring at him while he tells this story.
2: Right you're, after the raven has said king three yes, times. Yes, right.
1: No, I think you're onto something, but you're also implying that Gior suspects that Jon might know about his heritage.
0: I think he's trying, well... Mm, just
2: trying to think of how Jon is internalizing it, maybe.
1: Mm. and.
0: You ever also really wanted to tell somebody something, but you know you weren't allowed to, and so you hinted at it about as much as you fucking possibly could? Well, the bird's doing the best to hint at it. And he's like, are you getting it? Are you getting it yet? Yeah,
2: Blood Raven's probably so frustrated, he's like, king, king,
0: king. For those that haven't listened to our Team John theory before, this is all about blood raven and and uh our our theory it's matt's theory sorry matt uh team john is matt's no, theory that that uh, just as much the Jor and brendan and maybe maybe a couple others know john's Benjen. uh Benjen, uh know of john's heritage and are actively placing him in a position to be who he needs to be uh, realize that potential yeah
2: on an irreverent note, it says, but all the while his eyes never left Jon Snow. Read that romantically. Read it like a romance novel. And then John, oh. the next line, it made him feel odd.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is no arguing. Jor has the biggest crush on John.
2: And John's like, stop looking at me like that. It's like the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi line. Come here, my little friend. Don't be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to a Obi-Wan droid in a... In a in a tinted van saying that <laughs> R2-D2 <laughs> at a park wow
1: <laughs> I've got some ice, ice cream
2: don't be afraid
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: creepy J-Or uh, yes. we've
1: already pontificated about this before though like here have my heirloom sword
0: yeah.
2: He's asking him how his, his scarred hand is. How's your hand, John? And I just see him, like, taking John's hand and his and, like, caressing it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my mind wandered a lot during that chapter, obviously.
1: Well, I think they're adorable. They would make a great. Oh, they are cute. Um, I do see a
2: potential triangle, though, with John in the middle of Sam and J-Or. Oh.
1: Yeah. Oh, Sam. Sam's going to get crushed. I think you're right. Uh, somebody, uh, um, there has been talk of the libraries coming, uh, libraries at um, Castle Black coming back Ooh, into play, Yeah, and I totally agree. Um, I don't think they get mentioned again throughout the series.
2: Not that I could find.
0: No, one time, uh, Sam does go down uh, to try to find information out about the others. That's uh, right. After he gets when he back. gets back, yeah. yeah. Does
1: he yeah. find anything?
0: A little, little bit. bit. He finds some things about dragon glass and stuff like that. I don't. I didn't yeah, research the, it. The, sorry, but yeah.
2: the fact that the fact that there's Valyrian scrolls down there, and George calls that out, and then we later find out that it's that Valyrian steel type stuff that is used to combat the others. You know, I think pretty soon that Chekhov's rifle or whatever it's called is going to come back.
0: I put it in my Maybe. notes. That's a shotgun on the wall for sure. Those. 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 those uh, uh yeah those tunnels those are going to be used yeah, the, somehow
2: the tunnels too yeah the tunnels you have to wonder if they extend beyond um the castles of the night's watch and you know brands finding himself down in some tunnels beyond the wall we know there's tunnels below winterfell wonder if there's this huge network in the north of all these tunnels that'll oh, be used
0: yeah that would be really cool like f- yeah. like the children of the forest maybe built them or
2: yeah. yeah. Well, it's under the crypts of Winterfell, I think is where the tunnels are there. So, yeah. the whole thing, the whole idea of the of some answers being down in the crypts mm. and some tunnels connecting them to somewhere else. I mean, this could this could be really cool.
0: I just want to remind everyone how long a journey it would be in a tunnel from Winterfell to the Wall though.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah, and to where <laughs> so, and to where Bran is up, beyond yeah. the wall. Yeah. Where Bran is beyond the wall. Oh boy.
0: Yeah. Right
1: still oh i can't wait for that showdown just finally battling the others
0: yeah we're if getting it to happens, the point we where
2: have no idea george has george has spent five books building this up and at some point it's just gotta happen <laughs> oh, yeah I'm and excited. even and even
1: yoren does two. uh mention it in one of the aria chapters he was like grumbling about uh, oh. people who wouldn't support the Night's watch he's like the others will get them
2: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be wishing we were around when.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. When the others yeah. are eating their faces. Can what we Can, can, we, can we, oh uh well I want to I want to move on to the little man casts a large shadow thing. Yes. And but I don't want to do it before we're done talking about the library and the tunnels and the, all that stuff. I'm done. I think we're done. So, did anybody else think about Littlefinger?
2: I thought it was Littlefinger, but not after that phrase. Because before he says it? small man.
0: Yeah, I thought it was before that.
2: Oh, he says a little man casts a
0: large shadow, doesn't he?
2: I think he says small man. Uh, but the same thing. Hmm.
0: Oh, maybe. Um, but we've, we've talked about Littlefinger's stature before, right? And then he is small ish. Yeah, he's kind of slight.
2: But yeah. I, I, I always thought that that was referring just to Tyrion. and That's why it's clever.
0: That's it why it's clever because he's, he's talking directly lucky. to the smallest character in the series, so the reader wouldn't even pick up on it.
2: And the only way that I deduced Littlefinger was through process of elimination. It's like, okay, who would have the power to influence, um, the potential plan to behead Edard Stark and make it look like Joffrey just had come up with it on the spur of the moment. Well, Vera seemed awfully surprised. We talked before that could have been an act, uh, Cersei for sure didn't know, um, so the only other person I could think of are Picel and Littlefinger. Picel's not going to do it, I don't think. Littlefinger. Now, Littlefinger, it could have been. <laughs>
0: Does, do they give an account uh, of what Littlefinger was doing or looked like when it happened?
2: No, I don't even know that he was there. Hmm. I assume he was, but I, maybe it's just a detail I'm not remembering. Um, but yeah, that's that's what made me think of it. And also, Jono calls him out as specifically as one of his buddies when he's name dropping yeah, um, at the way he says, uh, Joffrey, uh, Littlefinger and stuff. And so it made me think that maybe Littlefinger was behind it. But other than that, I don't know that we have any evidence.
0: Just, it, it, but it goes back to, again to the power resides, you know, it's all an illusion thing, right? That's, that was the genesis of this conversation. And yeah, yeah totally. Does Littlefinger project the kind of power that, that uh, Varys is talking about? just to see if it fits the theory.
2: I don't know. He seems like he exercises his power in a very underhanded, non-projective way.
0: But he would have to do... With Joffrey, he would have to do it in a very, uh... <laughs> in a in very Inception-like way. He would, have well, to, sure. he would have to make Joffrey think it's his idea to execute him anyway. Right, you know, like, yes. You know it would be cool? If the people had something to celebrate about this traitor. Right. You know, and he's like, "Oh, I can execute him, right?"
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, yeah. and then just be, and then just be, I guess, in the ear of both, both Janos and uh, uh, Ilan. Yeah, Ilan, to do it immediately.
2: <laughs> Who at that point? Those are the two best choices because Ilan already will do whatever they say. He always has, and he's not going to yeah. talk about it. Um, and Janos, of course, has just been raised to the status of a Lord and everything. So he's certainly prone to, to do what's asked of him.
0: Yeah. yeah it's interesting I, though. He's been raised by Circe and Ilan is loyal to Circe. So Littlefinger would have to get them to listen to him instead. It's, uh, I don't know. It's int- I mean, ostensibly they're listening to the King also, but they're taking direction right. from Littlefinger in this. Right.
1: Mm, who do they Perhaps. perceive has the power? Yeah, exactly.
2: Yep. It got... all goes back to yeah. that conversation. Yeah. It totally goes back to the perception of power. Um, Very interesting. That that whole riddle is a complete microcosm of this whole series. I yeah. think.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Um, I'm really. Oh, I can't. I can't remember when we learn about Varys' backstory, like his slavery backstory. But I like that he completely shuts Tyrion down. When Tyrion's like, "What's your story, buddy? Let's let's be let's be friends." show your vulnerabilities to me. And yeah. He's like, nope. Yep. Yeah. Keeping on
2: keeping that. Uh, you were talking about how well put together various is. And that is the one moment that they said, like uh, something came over his eyes really his
1: eyes briefly. Yeah. Yeah. With non-laughter. Right. That's a thing.
2: Very interesting. It was
0: almost like a warning, right? Yeah. yeah. Don't bring don't this go up. there. Yeah. Cause I don't think that was uncontrolled. I think he let that happen to him to send Hmm. a message to Tyrion.
1: Certainly, yeah. He doesn't do much without his own permission, if that's a thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. I think you're on to something there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So if Kat had listened to Rob at this point in time and gone to the twins, do you think that they could have avoided the Red Wedding?
0: Possibility. (laughs) Such, I don't know. It's such spe- so so much speculation really, but maybe I mean she, you know she goes to the twins and she starts creating a relationship with the daughters and she starts communicating with Rob about the daughters and oh, there's this great one and kind of com- continuously reminding him of his duty duty and
1: uh you know maybe <laughs> he said maybe it. yes
0: maybe he uh, you know maybe he thinks a little bit more before he takes action uh, with Jane or makes action with Jane um i don 't know you know that, you know those commitments you make, but like you make them a long time ago, and nobody ever brings them up you know like does anyone even remember this? you know maybe rob's like, uh, I might get away with this, but
1: mm-hmm. if you had been constantly
0: been fed from from cat about this thing, you know about here 's your wife, your future wife i 'm talking with her, we embroidered today, uh you know that kind of thing, <laughs> like maybe you 'd just be like i can 't do that, and like my mom, she knows this girl now, like you know what I mean
1: yeah. She, uh, that's, what set, I, that's what I think I'm
0: getting
2: a, at. She sets up a, a, a FaceTime call with her. Yeah. You know, that. yeah.
0: I,
1: I think he would have... During Robin
2: Cat's nightly FaceTimes.
1: But also if Cat had been there, he would have been cognizant that the phrase might have become a threat to her. Oh, yeah. If he had deliberately yeah. broken that Treaty yeah. or whatever for
0: the crossing. <laughs>
1: right. So the next morning I he wakes up and writes a, a letter. Deterrence.
0: Mom, get out now. <laughs>
1: well yeah, Or that um, oh, man. Well,
0: and and
2: she would have never let Jamie Lannister go.
0: Oh yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, good point.
0: Yeah, butterfly flaps and swings. I mean, there's all sorts of shit that would have done differently, right? It was I just a, a, a kind of a fun speculation. Now
1: that I think about it more, yeah. a yeah, lot, a it lot. Would
2: have, it would have changed the whole story. Huh. Uh, on that same line is, uh, is the whole Theon to Balon thing. Yeah. What if he, he decided not to send Theon and sent someone else?
0: Yep.
2: Could we have avoided the whole Winterfell sacking and, and everything? I, I think there's enough evidence to maybe speculate that Balon still would have attacked the North, even if Theon had never come to him. Um, I think there's enough to maybe speculate that he was already planning to do so, but, uh,
0: You know, I didn't research and I don't remember enough now.
2: Uh, I looked into it a little bit. There's not a ton of evidence to support that, but it does maybe seem like he was making some sort of preps. hmm. He never outright says he was going to. And then if he had, uh, I asked this question earlier, but maybe ask it again now is would um, uh, Rob have had the uh, cojones to go through with what happens when – When, you know, your hostage, the father of your hostage, breaks uh, his promise, would he have executed Theon if Balon would have attacked the north? And would have Balon cared? Uh Would Balon have cared?
1: He wouldn't have cared.
2: He doesn't seem to be too super fond of Theon when he returns.
1: Yeah, they are hard people. I'm actually looking forward to actually reading all of those chapters this time. (laughs) And actually
2: paying attention to them?
1: Yeah.
0: That's how I feel about the House of the Undying. (laughs) Is that what it's called? The place Danny goes?
1: One of the places.
0: Uh Yeah. Yes. I'm going to have to read all that symbolism and crap? Uh, Okay. I'll look forward to it. We'll do it
1: together, guys. Yeah, right. Together. Anything else you guys want to cover? There's a ton
0: we could cover, but...
1: I know. I think
2: we covered the big points,
1: though. Ladies being the downfall of all of the kingships in Westeros?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I just think it was, it's kind of interesting the way, you know, Rob was named for Robert. Uh, Rob Stark was named for Robert Baratheon. Uh, and Robert Baratheon's, I would say his, all right, my, my normal apology. I'm a Robert Baratheon apologist. My name is Scott and I'm a Robert Baratheon apologist. Uh, I would say his his downfall, his his rule, his kingship, all of it, was the direct result of he was in love with this woman that he never got, and even killing the man who took her didn't put his his soul at rest. Right, and uh, as a big part of that, it just kind of it made him into a terrible king. And yeah, it's a pretty good excuse to use, I suppose, but um, he could never get to that place where he was the same man he was then. And Rob, similarly, is undone by falling in love with a woman and screwing over his pact with the phrase and, uh, you know, the red wedding resulting, right? It's kind of interesting that these men of war, these kings, these people that are, you know, being looked up to in these ways, really, they're softies and uh, they're undone by loving their heart.
1: Yeah.
2: Except for Stannis, who loves no one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He loves Davos. He does love Davos.
1: His only smart move. Yep. Um, The whiner.
2: The whiner.
1: I'm also looking forward to paying better attention to Stannis and his
2: awesomeness, better better (laughs) qualities. (laughs) Uh, Shots have been fired.
1: Shots (laughs) have been fired. I will give him this. I quite enjoy the actor that they chose to play him. Yeah, except the is, books, Stannis is only 34. Guys, I'm 34. There's <laughs> no way that I would have done what Stannis has done. Well,
0: they, they, but they age up everybody in the show. They age up everyone,
1: Brutally. Yeah. It's disappointing in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, Ned also was... Is... Supposed to be in his his late 30s, right? Yeah,
1: and Cat too.
0: Yeah, and Bean is, I don't know. He's got to be, be 55-ish. Right? Yeah.
1: Well, he's a Highlander, but...
0: Yeah, true.
1: He's That's so fair. hot, too. <sighs> so
0: hot. All right. Uh,
2: uh, Sean Bean is 55. Scad, you win. I just Wikipedia'd
0: him. I yeah. may or may not have posters of him everywhere with various facts.
2: With his bristling chest hair yeah. on stark display.
0: They took the little ones.
1: <laughs> okay. Thanks Thank for joining us, everybody. Greet uh D A D, great episode. Uh this is Brooke signing off saying, When you're sad, just think about George's wee little hat, the little turtle pin he <laughs> sometimes wears, and it'll cheer you right up. <laughs>
2: I will do that. And uh, I'm Matt, reminding you that the chances of successfully navigating an asteroid field are 3,720 to 1.
0: Thanks. Well, I had a different quote lined up, but I now have to go with, never tell me the odds. Ob-
1: <laughs> <laughs> good night, everyone.
0: Good night. Night.
1: Searching for good time. Just wait and see. pause pause and go
0: stick them with the pointy end yes i will